0: Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you are enjoying this free podcast novel. It is provided free of charge for your listening pleasure. It is a chance for you to enjoy, completely free, this pulp sci-fi adventure series, which is, as I mentioned, free. Did I mention the word free enough to let the guilt set in? Cool. Right now, you can support the podcast by going to kickstarter.com slash projects slash Ruins of Empire and get yourself a copy of Ruins of Empire number two, Templum of before it even hits Amazon. You can get signed copies of the paperback, hardback, or even just throw a dollar in the pot to say, yep, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. And as always, thank you for listening.
1: You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far... Vego Spade, captured by the Perfunduloi and awaiting the Feast of Judgment to determine his fate, managed to contact Isra back in the city to inform her of his current predicament. Together, they worked out a plan to have Althea and Kronos show up with some damning information about Sergeant Carr. But when Kronos learned of this plan, he was horrified. A fundamental secret of the city still eluded him and he feared if he left, it would be lost forever.
0: Chapter 18. At any other time and place, these regional warlords would have been happy to kill each other for scraps from the corporation's table. But this was a time when nearly every person living in the outlying provinces could point to a friend or family member that had been killed or tortured by corporation soldiers. The global corporation was indeed strong, but it became the perfect common enemy for many population groups that normally would have been quite happy killing each other. From the Fall. The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Althea loosened her coat as she drove the crawler through the forest. The sun was high in the sky now, and, despite being a fraction of the size it was as seen from Earth, it warmed Titan surprisingly well. All around, a thin mist rose from the ground, as if the whole moon was thawing. She drove on a path of packed Earth, just wide enough for the crawler. The trees and shrubs on either side were trampled or had branches broken, implying some constant traffic. As they traveled, Althea noticed something wrong with the forests. The huge ferns, massive trees, and other diverse plant life were not as vibrant and green as she remembered them just hours ago. Maybe it was a characteristic of the area she traveled through, but the flora looked like houseplants that someone forgot to water. Kronos looked better now, sitting in the passenger side, even if he clearly wanted to be anywhere else. He didn't speak or move or even busy himself with his holographic computers. He just sat holding the breath mask over his mouth and nose and stared out at the passing landscape like a petulant child. Althea stopped the crawler and pulled up the sleeve on her coat to check the Eros display. A flashing icon indicated Vago's signal a little over ten kilos from their position, almost due south. She pressed another icon on the screen to talk to Isra. "'Status.' said Isra's voice in Althea's ear. Ten kilos away now. The crawler isn't running particularly well. It will need some more work when I get back. But everything else is just lovely.'" Not running well was an understatement. Going faster than a few kilometers per hour caused the engine to whine and belch smoke from under the hood. She was sure there was a fluid leak in the transmission, and occasional clunking from the engine sometimes threatened to shake the machine apart, but it was moving for the moment... And that was what was important. Isra responded over Althea's earpiece. Keep me posted. Out. Althea pulled her sleeve back down and continued driving. She glanced at Cronus again. Sorry to pull you from your work, Cronus, but this is quite important. Isra said that Vago didn't sound terribly well. Cronus just glanced at her while holding the breath mask to his face. Althea, the type to make polite conversation in any circumstance, continued. Were you making any headway? Did you find something interesting? Kronos pulled the mask away from his face. I don't know. There is something about that place, and the refineries. Something bigger than both of them. I can't read the code yet, but it is important. Not like normal computer code. It is a strange quaternary system. Nothing like it in any known computer coding. Quaternary system? Kronos held up four fingers. Most computing uses two base numbers each corresponding to a different argument. Yes and no. Some use three. Yes, no, and maybe. Then there are four base numbers. Yes, no, maybe. Who the hell knows? It makes no sense, but it's there. It's everywhere in that system. Althea smiled pleasantly. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. You look well, Are your allergies getting better. Kronos pulled the mask away again. Yes, which is strange. They all went away inside the pyramid the effect out here is mild. Maybe it was just a temporary reaction. We're not entirely sure what effects alien plant life will have on terrestrial systems. Your body might have just been adjusting to the new environment. Kronos put the breathing mask back over his face and looked away. Petulance was one thing, but Kronos acted genuinely afraid of something. Well, Kronos was more or less permanently afraid since they landed, but this was different. He wasn't just afraid for his life at the moment. What's wrong, Kronos? said Althea. Kronos took a couple of deep breaths from the breather and pulled it away. I can't quite pinpoint it. It's like a flash of light beyond the peripheral. There's something important about the mainframe and the refineries. If it gets out, it will be destroyed. What will be destroyed? Kronos put the breather back up to his mouth and took several deep breaths. He did this for several seconds before he pulled the breather down and said, everything. Althea was about to ask him to explain that cryptic remark when she heard a hollow thump from the woods. Something flew out of the brush and fell right to the side of the crawler. Before Althea could swerve, there was a deafening blast and the feeling that the whole world was just stashed in a tumble dryer. There was a sensation of falling and then pain as her body smashed into the hard, wet ground. When the world stopped spinning, she was laying face down in the mud. At first, there was no sound but the ringing in her ears, but as it died away, she became aware of rapid gunfire. The crawler, what was left of it anyway, was upside down, not far from where she was laying on the ground. Where was Cronus? She took a quick look around and found him sprawled a couple meters away. She crawled on her belly, keeping as low to the ground as possible. When she got to Cronus, she put her fingers to the artery in his neck. He was breathing, and he had a pulse. Aside from some minor scratches, she couldn't see any wounds. Bullets ricocheted off the crawler and a nearby rock. She had to get Kronos to safety, but he had just been thrown from the crawler. Moving him could be as dangerous as leaving him there, until she knew he didn't have a spinal injury. Still laying flat on the ground, she placed her hands on her head and yelled, We surrender! Please stop shooting! We surrender! The gunshots died away and were replaced by someone shouting orders. Althea laid there, trembling, until she heard bootsteps a few meters away and a gruff voice yell, On your feet! Keeping her hands on her head, she maneuvered herself into a kneeling position and then stood up. She found herself face to face with two Corporation Marines in full body armor. One of the two men stepped forward, pointing the barrel of his rifle directly at Althea's head. Drop any weapons you have, slowly. Then turn around, put your hands behind your back. The Corporation Marines basically a highly organized mercenary battalion, tended to attract people who divided up the world into two groups, enemies and civilians. And to the marines, civilian was a word that was used with the same tone as cockroach. It was a useful trait, if played right. Althea turned her head away, and sucked in a few irregular breaths, as if desperately trying to keep from breaking down completely. The trick was to appear powerless. She took another deep breath, and whimpered, Kronos... Kronos let out a pathetic little whimper. Althea turned back to the Marine. He's injured. Badly. He will die if you don't let me save him. Kronos groaned again and moved his arms as if to push himself up. The Marine motioned with his gun. He's alive. Now do as I say before I change that. Althea snapped back around. Kronos, listen to me. Don't move. You have a severe spinal laceration. If you move, you risk paralysis. It will be a bloody miracle if I can save your feet, so don't move. Kronos froze. Althea turned back to the Marine and managed to work up some tears. He needs Lorazepam right now, or I can't even begin to save his life. She motioned to the crawler. My bag is in there. If you'll just let me. The Marine pressed the rifle closer to her face. Sorry, can't let you do that. We are representatives of the Ministry, said Althea, letting more hysteria creep into every word. What do you think will happen if I tell them that Corporation Marines just stood by and watched one of their people die? Althea saw a slight twitch of fear cross the Marines' face. Marines responded to power, and, as much as they enjoyed lording over people, they also understood what it meant to be on the wrong end of the chain of command. There was a click as the Marine switched off their rifle safety. And what do you think will happen if I just kill you both? Althea gulped. A lot of paperwork, I should think. It was a joke but only just barely. The Marine clicked the safety back into place. "'Please let me help him. Don't—' Althea gulped and let herself cry. "'Don't—don't let me watch him die.' The Marine looked toward the crawler, then at Kronos, then back at the crawler, then Kronos. "'Anderson!' shouted the Marine. "'Get in there and find—whatever she was talking about.' "'It will be in a black leather bag,' said Althea, wiping her eyes. "'I had it in the back before—' The second Marine pulled the bag from under the wrecked crawler and started rooting through it. What the hell am I looking for? Lorazepam," said Althea, forgetting her faint hysteria for a moment. It will be a proper syringe with a needle and a yellow label. The soldier rooted around a while and produced a disposable syringe filled with medication. He threw it to his partner, who examined it for a moment. This is stuff? Althea nodded and the Marine handed it to her. Still under the watchful eye of the Marines, she went and knelt beside Kronos. She pulled the cap off the syringe. Try not to move. This will all be over soon. Then she gave him a quick wink. She turned back and looked up at the Marine. Come kneel beside him here. What? said the Marine, still holding the assault rifle on her. Kneel down. I need you to hold him while I give him the injection. His hands holding the assault weapon trembled. I can't... Althea glared at him, right in the eye. If I give him this, and he has a reaction, he can spasm so hard he breaks his own back. It's not good for any of us if he dies. Not me, not you, and definitely not him. You are in this now, so get down here and hold him. She turned to the second marine. And you, if this goes terribly wrong, I'll need the portable defibrillator. It's in the bag as well. The second marine went back to rooting in the bag. The one standing nearby swore under his breath and slung his rifle behind him. What do you want me to do? Put your hand here and here, said Althea, indicating Cronus's shoulder and stomach. On the count of three. In one quick and effortless motion, she jabbed the needle into the Marine's neck and pressed all the way down on the plunger. One. The dose was so high that the Marine didn't even have time to get a word out before his eyes rolled back into his head. He fell down and Althea pulled the rifle strap over his head two. Cradling the weapon in her arms, she stood up to face the second Marine. tree. The second Marine stood up, with a pair of palm-sized silver paddles in his hand. Is this what you are looking? His voice trailed off. Althea now spoke in a flat, even tone. Now remove the clip from your rifle, empty the rounds from the chambers, and throw it away. After that, do the same with your sidearm. Then throw away your combat knife." The soldier hesitated, so Althea fired a short burst a meter or so from the man's head. "'That was in case you had any doubts as to whether I could use a gun. Now do as I say.' The Marine grimaced, as if he'd just eaten something foul, but did as he was instructed. As he threw his knife away, Althea asked, "'Who else is out here? Are you alone?' "'Lady, in this forest you can't move a dozen steps without someone watching through a sniper-scope.' Althea nodded. "'I see.' "'Well, if that's the case, then it seems we are in a stalemate. "'So why don't you go fetch someone with rank? "'We'll stay here and watch your friend.' "'She indicated the man now sleeping soundly on the ground near Kronos. "'And if I were you, I'd hurry. "'If the wind so much as blows the leaves in a way I don't like, "'well, it won't end well for him.' "'The man started walking away. "'You know that you're basically both dead now, right? "'It's just a matter of time. "'We're going to bring fire and pain down on you.' "'I'm quite sure that is true,' said Althea. And you wouldn't want to delay that, would you? Run along now. The marine turned and ran into the forest. Althea watched with her gun aimed at him until she was sure he was gone. Um, shouldn't you give me that injection, said Cronus, still laying as motionless as possible. Relax, you're okay, said Althea, lowering the gun. Can I move? Can you feel your toes? Cronus hesitated a moment. Yes. Then you're fine. She went to pick up her medical bag by the crawler. Come on, we should get moving. Kronos stood up. Moving? What about all the soldiers? Althea shook her head. We are dealing with someone who's just smart enough to follow orders and not shoot himself in the foot. That doesn't leave a lot of room for analytical thinking. If there were soldiers out there, he would have told us he was alone. Now come on, Vego is still several kilometers away. Kronos went to the crawler and pulled his backpack out of the wreckage. It was scorched, but looked mostly unharmed. What was that, Althea? Why did they attack us? Althea looked around her. I don't know. Obviously someone doesn't want us to get to Vago. I should call Isra. She pulled up her sleeve to activate the display on her arrow suit. Kronos, moving at a speed Althea had hitherto thought him incapable, jumped to his feet and grabbed her arm. He looked down at the arrow's computer, as if he'd just temporarily disarmed a bomb. Those soldiers knew our path. They knew where we were and where we were going. This forest is huge. How did they know that? Althea pulled her arm away and looked at the blank display on her arm. The tracking signal in our arrow suit. They have hacked our signal. It's the only way they would know our position with that level of accuracy. If we disable the tracking signal, Vago and Isra will have no idea if we are alive or dead. Kronos looked at the drugged marine. "'Neither will they. "'With no relay, we can't contact anyone. "'And how would we find Vago?' Kronos activated the display on his arm. "'I can disable the transceiver in the suit. "'We can still use Vago's last known position.' "'Althea looked up at the ring planet in the sky. "'And Saturn doesn't move much, "'which will make it easy to walk in a straight line.' "'She looked down at the display screen. "'We'll need to move fast. Vega will think we are dead or in trouble if he can't see our signal.' There's no telling what horrors he'll get up to, then. Vago sat at a wooden banquet table almost twenty meters long, staring at a hunk of charred meat on a stick while his mind drifted farther away. This room inside the ship was cavernous. It was possibly the cargo hold or even a stripped-out engine room. It was large enough to house five long tables each sitting upwards of twenty to thirty perfinduloi, with room to spare, all eating meat from skewers, and drinking some black fermented fruit drink. Light streamed in through a series of windows high above their heads. Vago closed his eyes and tried to focus on the here and now. A few moments ago, he thought he was sitting at the family table, just after his mother's funeral on Mars. Before that, he pictured himself in the Colony Defense Force mess hall, looking at something unidentifiable on a metal platter. Before that, a small round table in a Rio club, looking at a drink changing colors right in front of his eyes. Each time, he had to force his mind back to the present. He was here on Titan, surrounded by a hundred Perfiduloy warriors, all tearing big chunks of mammoth meat from the sticks with their teeth. After that was done, there was going to be some kind of trial. At which point... They are probably going to kill Carr, Vago, or both of them. He pulled up his sleeve to contact Isra again. He whispered just under his breath, Anything yet? There was a long pause before he heard Isra's voice over the earpiece. Nothing. I have made some inquiries with Laban's people, but that is not likely to get us anywhere. The Houston is not willing to send any of his people outside the walls. I hate to say it, but you are on your own. Vago swallowed hard. Is she dead? We do not know anything yet. It could be an equipment malfunction, or her signal dropped, or is somewhere out of satellite line of sight. Vago, listen carefully. You need to think about yourself now. Get yourself to safety, and then we will worry about Althea and Kronos. Vago sighed. Understood. Carr, sitting next to him, took a big bite of meat. What's the matter, Vago? Not hungry? Vago looked at the hunk of meat again. Somewhere, he felt the vague pangs of hunger poking out through the haze, but they were too far away. What little grasp he had on reality at the moment was entirely focused on Althea. Carr took another bite. I wouldn't worry about your friends. They got rerouted. Vago slowly turned his head. Say that again. Car gave Vago a smug, grease-covered grin. I said they got rerouted. We managed to isolate your private signal before you even left base camp. You didn't think we just let you traipse all over this moon unsupervised, did you? They are safe. I just need to make sure they didn't interfere. Are you going to eat that? The world around Vago got sharper. It wasn't as good as a shard of triple T, but the thought of pulling a hunk of meat from his skewer and stabbing Carr in the eye sharpened him up enough to appreciate his surroundings. Halifaco sat at a table nearby, and at the head of the room, with two older men on either side. These elders clearly commanded some respect and reverence from the rest of the society. While the rest of the hall sat closely packed, conversed, and joked as they ate, these five ate in silence. When one of them finished the meat in front of them, someone appeared with a fresh skewer, When they finished their mug, someone arrived to fill it from their own. Every once in a while, Halafaco raised his head, as if judging the mood of the crowd. Then, once he judged the time right, he drained his ceramic mug and banged it hard on the table. The room went silent, more silent than before. Halafaco launched into a speech in his native language. From the inflection and tone, it sounded like the man was calling down fire and brimstone, The wrath of the gods, blood of infidels, the entirety of religious righteousness and wrath distilled into pure speech. When he was done, he motioned to Carr and Vago. You will both be allowed to speak. Since you do not speak our language, I will tell them all what you are saying. Which of you will speak first? Carr looked sideways at Vago and smiled. Well, since my friend here is a little reluctant, I will start. Carr stood up. As he began speaking, Halafaco translated for the assembled crowd. "'My friends, I just want you all to know that I'm as shocked and saddened as you are that this whole thing went as terribly as it did. I mourn those who lost their lives in the service of the Companio as much as you do. I underestimated the enemy. I will admit to that. And, for what it's worth, I am sorry.' "'This was not good,' thought Vago.' Most corporation marines were a group of barely-functioning monosyllabic sociopaths. But the one time he needed a man to live down to that ideal, he turned into a damned orator. Carr paused for a moment to let Halifaco catch up and continued. "'Now, you are all suspicious, and rightly so. "'If you weren't, you'd be damned fools. "'I've been accused by this man,' he gestured to Vago, "'of purposely misleading you all gathered here today.' I've been accused of knowingly leading brave warriors to death or enslavement. Furthermore, I've been accused of breaking my promise regarding the refineries. But where was this man while this was going on? He was in the city, working with the Houston and all the others to destroy the Companillo. He was seen on the battlefield killing your warriors. He gets captured, so what does he do? He lies. Carr turned to Vago and smiled. It was a smug, knowing expression he lies to save himself he lies to further cripple your efforts to free yourself from the tyranny of the Houston he turned back to the crowd we all know what side he's on so the only real question is about me i've brought you tools to help free yourselves since me and my people have taken the refineries not one whiff of smoke has risen from them carr sat down clearly satisfied There was an expected silence as the five elders at the front of the room talked among themselves. Then, Mago realized everyone was looking at him. He stood up and stared into the silent crowd. The rage helped sharpen his brain, but it was still hard to put coherent thoughts together. He stood there for so long, a few began whispering. Halifaco cocked his head. Do you have something to say? Vago started slurring. This thing, this fight, you think it's still between you and the Urbanoi, but it ain't. Not anymore. You've got something new to fight, and it ain't like anything you've ever seen. The people that have come to this moon, they intend to take everything from you. Maybe not at first, but they will. First, they will come as friends and allies. They will offer to help you defeat your enemies, and they will. By the time those men are done, the city will be rebel and every last soul either dead or enslaved. And once they finish with them, you will lose your usefulness and become a threat. Then it is too late. You will share the fate of your enemy. As Halifaco finished translating, the people at the table stirred and talked among themselves with urgency in their voices. Carr saw it too, and he stood up. More outrageous lies! Do you have any proof of this? Bagel pulled up his jacket sleeve and activated the display on his arm in his arrow suit. There was still no sign of Althea or Cronus. He gritted his teeth and looked up at the crowd again. Proof? Yeah, I had proof. I had proof from the city itself, but that man didn't want you to see it, so we went and made sure of that. Carr raised his arms in the air. This is ridiculous. He doesn't have any proof. It's all just lies and... You had your chance to speak, said Halifaco. It is time for you to be silent. He turned to Vigo. Do you have any proof of what you claim? Vigo fought through the haze to grasp onto something, anything to convince these people. He had nothing tangible, so he had to appeal to something else. Something these people would accept without proof. The Companio, Vigo exclaimed. The elders whispered among themselves, and one at the end said, "'What did you say?' "'You're right. I have no proof. But I speak the truth, and the compañero knows it. So let me prove it. Let me fight him,' said Vigo, nodding towards Sergeant Carr. As Halifaco translated this to the crowd, Carr laughed. "'You are not serious. You're injured. I'd kill you in a second.' Carr looked at the crowd. They became more and more excited as Jalofaco finished the translation. He smiled. You're right. I can't possibly defeat you in battle. He turned back to Jalofaco. Not without the help of the companio. Jalofaco paused for a moment and, again, the five elders talked among themselves. While they did, excitement built in the hall until Vega could feel it vibrating his bones. Jalofaco stood up and spoke to the crowd. Whatever he said was exactly what they wanted to hear. A cheer went up with the clatter of the ceramic mugs beaten against the wooden tables. Vago looked at Carr, who had a self-satisfied grin on his face. When the commotion died down, Halafaco spoke to Vago and Carr at the table. Judgment has been made. You are wise to put your trust in the companio, Vago. The elders agree that, if you speak true, the companio will give you strength. Vago grinned and leaned back. Through the rage and the haze, It all made a strange kind of sense. It was a win-win. If he could fight and triumph, he could make his escape and rescue Althea. If she was still alive. If he died, Althea and Kronos would be useless to the corporation. Carr was a bastard, but he didn't kill for fun. He'd let them go if they had no further value to him. Either way, Althea would be safe, and Vago could die honorably in battle. He watched the crowd get up and start to file outside to watch the fight. It was a perfect win-win.
1: You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was broken reality by Kevin McQuillard at incompetech.com licensed under creative commons 3.0 license